I think you guys all sang this when I was stateside. It's it's in tune to come uh, thou found of every blessing, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Come thou found. Chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. We're happy to see little David back from his adventure in Stanford and looks pretty good. Psalm chapter 8. Now, admittedly, I will be teaching through some of the Psalms that are my favorite. I began Wednesday, two Wednesdays ago, got a break from Revelation, and so we're going to go to the Psalms. And there are a lot of things in the Psalms that I think we can benefit from, get blessings from. And every Bible verse, every Bible chapter, every Bible topic has a historical meaning, it has a doctrine meaning, and it has a spiritual application meaning. So there's three things that you can get from a Bible scripture. And so from the Psalms, written by various authors, you can get a lot of blessings from the Psalms, especially one man, one pastor in another state, he was um, diagnosed with cancer. And so he began to read the Psalms. He began to teach the Psalms to his church. And he had just stopped teaching everything else because he felt like he needed the Psalms. And so in turn, his church found out that it was a great blessing to get the Psalms as well. So uh, thankfully, I don't have that situation. Uh, I may have other problems, it's called mental problems. 
but um, uh, I think we could all benefit from the Psalms this time of the year, leading up to Thanksgiving especially. You realize that uh, we should not wait until Thanksgiving Eve to be thankful to God. Amen. And so throughout the Psalms, you have certain kinds of emphasis. Thanksgiving is one of them. But along the way, many other things to remind us about God himself. The emphasis of the Psalms is not your feelings or your how, how you can be encouraged, although you will be. The emphasis of the Psalms is God. And so in Psalm chapter 8, verse number 1. Psalm chapter 8, verse number 1. O Lord, our Lord. Let's read the whole psalm together. Would you stand with me? We'll read Psalm chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. It's not a long one. And we will then have a seat after this. And I will try to cover a few verses in this psalm. Psalm chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Let's read together. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Please have a seat. Uh, good scripture to read. It just, it's just easy to read. It tells so much truth. Let's look at verse number one. Verse number one. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Now, we first notice this about the Lord. It's his excellent name. His excellent name. The name of God, the name, the name of the Lord is excellent. It's excellent. Now, there are, uh, there's another psalm that emphasizes even more than what verse number one says. In verse number 9, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. So verse 1 and verse number 9, it sandwiches good truth. But there's another psalm I'd like you to see with me. It's also a short psalm that speaks about the Lord's excellent name. All right, let's go to Psalm 148. Keep your place here. We'll come back right away. But I want you to turn to Psalm 148, 148. And see what the psalm, psalm writer says about the name of the Lord and how important it is. Psalm 148. 148. Have you ever just read the psalms without any commentaries, without any notes, just read the psalms? Have you been glad that you've done that? It's a blessing to read the psalms. Psalm 148. Now, in this psalm, you will have references to his name, and you have references to others, other things, his creation, and people that will be subjected to praising the Lord's name. Interesting chapter, Psalm 148, verse number 1. Look at what it says here. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise ye him, verse 2. All his angels praise ye him, 
all his hosts, praise ye him, sun and moon. Excuse me. <coughs> praise ye him, sun and moon. Praise him, all ye stars of light. Praise him, ye heavens of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens. Interesting. Waters above the heavens? Interesting. Verse number five. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. Now, in verse number five, when it comes to the name of the Lord, it is great, it is so great, it says, let them praise the name of the Lord. Them who? Who are the them? Well, if you go back to the previous verses, verse 2, praise ye him, all the angels, the host, sun and moon, stars of light, heavens of heavens, waters above the heavens. Is it possible for things that are not human, is it possible that there are things that are created by God, angels, host of angels, even things like the sun and the moon, they have no personality, they are inanimate, they just rock, the stars, praise the name of the Lord, is that possible? Yeah. Keep that thought in mind, look at verse number six, he hath also established them forever and ever, he hath made a decree which shall not pass, praise the Lord from the earth, ye dragons, Ah, and all deeps, Verse 8, fire and hail, snow and vapor, stormy and wind, fulfilling his word. Speaking of storm and wind, you know, on Friday at night, uh, 5 to 6, 6 to around there in Manoa, it was very windy, very blustery all over the island, it seemed like. And it got down to 70 degrees, 7-0 in Manoa, up on Manoa Road, 70 degrees. It was chilly. <laughs> Trees are going like that, you know, people are covering up and... People were walking and jogging and they got blown to the side like that. It's kind of fun to watch. But uh, it got chilly. All right. Uh, verse number, where am I? Six. Verse number six. He hath also established them forever and ever. He hath made a decree, a decree which shall not pass. Praise the Lord from the earth, ye dragons and all deeps, fire and hail, snow, vapor, stormy wind. Stormy wind. There, that's what got my brain thinking about that. Manoah. Stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth and all people, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men, that be people over 40, and children, let them, let them who? Well, those are verse number five, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and twelve. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven. Now, you find from Psalm 148 that creation itself praises the Lord's name. You find people praise the Lord's name. Now, how is it possible? Let's think for just a second. How is it possible for things to praise the Lord? Is it possible for things, to, his creation, to praise the Lord? Now think of another verse in the New Testament that gives you a clue that perhaps it is true. They praise him in a different voice. We praise him with an audible voice. Humans, princes, uh, kings. Uh, now, beasts of the field, they moo. What does a cow say? Moo. What does a goat say? I don't know what a goat says. Bah. 
And all these animals of God's creation, they all speak a different language than we can understand. You know, animals understand each other. You ever see a pack of, um, a crowd of lions attack a prey? You ever see killer whales attack a seal on an ice float? Flow? They have court, you ever see dolphins? You know, dolphins make sounds, whales make sounds, they all talk, they communicate. We don't understand it all. Even babies can communicate. A long time ago, back when you folks were not even around, back in the comic book days when it was like nine, ten cents, they had um, a comic book called Sugar and Spice. It's about two babies, two brother and sister, and they had thought balloons, and that's how they communicate to each other. But to the adult, the thought balloon was gibberish. Really clever idea. And so kids are talking, babies are talking to themselves, and the thought balloon was, you know, yeah, I'm going to drive this car when I get to be five years old. And they are, no, you're not. You're going to put your seven. And then, and then all the parents could hear us jabber, jabber, you know. And uh, so is it possible for animals and creationists stuff to communicate uh, in an unknown way to us? I think yes, because of Romans chapter 8. It says creationists have grown it unto their redemption. So the groaning of a tree, the howling through, all these kind of things to us is just wind and rain and the waves are uh, winter swells and storms and so on like that. We just look at it like that because we don't think things can talk. They are not alive. They have no personality. But according to what the Bible says, the creation itself praises, praises the Lord and praises His name. Very interesting. Now, uh, scientifically, people say, you know, you people, you really lost it. How, how is it possible? Well, you know, sometimes scientists have lost it. Yeah. Sometimes scientists have discovered, oh, what's that sound that I hear from deep space? Uh, Ooh, yeah. Maybe it's a UFO, maybe it's another life form trying to communicate to us. Why do scientists, astronomers, always think that? There is some benevolent life form trying to communicate to poor little Earth in this great big universe. Why is it these aliens are always friendly? <laughs> It's because the movie's going back to the day the earth stood still. Black and white, Macarena goes back to then where it seems like people think all of these space visitors, aliens in a flying saucer where they're, um, the composition of the spaceship and the robot that comes out, they are invisible to any kind of human weapon, bazookas and machine guns, doesn't even do anything. Uh, we always think that they've come to warn us, you, you better, you know, you remember that scene where the eyes opened like that and the light came out from the eyes? This is back in the 50s, so you folks, you have to imagine. And it melted tanks, melted bazookas, and just wiped everything out. And then the, the flap closed like that, this cyclops, robotic, whatever it was, and it stood there for days. And then uh, the main character came out in a funny kind of space. He looked like he's wrapped in aluminum foil, saran wrap, but it was, you know, painted silver. He comes out, he gives a warning to people, you people on Earth, had better behave yourself and never go to war anymore. Otherwise, we will come here and destroy the earth. Got that? And that was the signal, the message of these aliens coming in. They are benevolent. Well, I don't think they're so benevolent. I think there are space creatures and aliens in space. I don't know. It's like Hollywood portrays them. Maybe they're just spiritual awakenings in high places. Principalities and powers to deceive. Well, I think it's possible for one Psalm 140 to be literal. Now come back to Psalm chapter 8. One thing we know for sure, we have no doubt about, 
that all of creation, including creation, meaning humans, we are to praise the Lord and magnify his excellent name. Let's go back to verse number one. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. So the name of the Lord is excellent. It is so excellent that the Bible tells us in other references that everyone will bow down to that name, that excellent name. Now, his name is so great, it is so revered, it is so majestic, it is so holy, it is so... There's only one person's name that will be so supreme that everyone will bow down to that name. Before I get to that name, which you probably know what that name is, you need to remember that there are great people in this lifetime and previous to our living in this world that have been great. There have been many great people and their name reminds you of the great deeds that they have done. And we don't discount these great people, great discoverers, great explorers, great uh, humanitarians, great military leaders. General George Washington was a great man in many ways. The founders were great men in many ways. They really were. And uh, they had a character, they had something about them that was different and foreign to our generation. Uh, their word meant something, they had convictions, they stood for some things. And because of the founding father, we have what we have today as far as a sovereign nation. Of course, that is the ideal that they had envisioned. Uh, today it's not so ideal. Nonetheless, they were great men. We recognize that. We uh, appreciate what they have done. Inventors, medicine, surgery. Do you not do you not appreciate good medicine, good surgery? Now, can you tell me the name of the first man who did a heart transplant? I'll give you one dollar. If you can, now if you can't, you owe me one dollar. I have the advantage of checking it out. But uh, since you probably won't know, because who thinks about these things, uh, this man who did the first transplant, uh, he, let's see here, uh, his name is, you know, it's, it's a problem, you can't read your own handwriting. Anybody else have that problem? Uh, Ethan has that problem. <laughs> but I have that problem too. Uh, Dr. Bernard transplanted a heart from a 25-year-old woman who was fatally injured in a car accident into the body of Louis Washkansky, a 53-year-old South African grocer dying from a chronic heart disease. And so he was the first to do a successful heart transplant. Now, do you not know and realize how much that made a difference many other lives after this? Yeah to be the first one to do that. That's amazing. We would say that Dr. Bernard has a great name. And then there are great artists and great painters and great athletes and so on that people revere and worship even. Now, there's other great men, great names that you, you think about them. Remember that old game you used to play? You, name, you think of a, a thing and something comes to your mind? It's called the wind-up doll. This is way back in black and white days. The wind-up doll. Uh, the game was, um, you think of a person and you think of the doll that represents this person's overall characteristics. So for example, when you think about, um, okay, at random, at random, you think about a name like, say, George Washington. What's the first thing come to your mind? President. First president, yes, what else? Honorable. Honorable. Anything else? Military. 
military general, you think about character. What about um, General George Patton? When you hear the name, first thing comes to mind is helmet. <laughs> Slap a soldier. That's what you first think about. Yeah, World War II. What about General Douglas MacArthur? What do you think about? MacArthur, what's the first come to your mind? I shall return. I shall return. And he did, didn't he? From Australia after he had to evacuate the Philippines. So the first thing that comes to a person's mind reflects that person's character, reputation, testimony. A lot of great men in this world. When you think about them, you say, thank God that these people live. How about this name, Ray Kroc? <laughs> Ray Kroc. Ray Kroc. Big Mac McDonald's. Uh, where would we be without Ray Kroc? What a great name. How about this one? Uh, Colonel Sanders. KFC. Uh, Colonel Sanders. Where would we be without Colonel Sanders? How about this name? Al Gore. Ooh. First Al Gore. First inventor of uh, internet. The inventor of the internet. Yeah. Where would you be without Al Gore? Because you'd have no internet. <laughs> when you're a liberal, you can lie and get away with it. All right. So what I'm trying to explain is that uh, there are a lot of great names that we look at in history. And the more you learn about history, the more you realize there are great people in human history that have done great things that change societies and change cultures and change the way we live. Really. But there's one name that is way above every name. So it's like this. That one name all names in history are down here. But there's one name way above here it was above every name. You know what that name is? All right. According to Philippians chapter 2, that is the name. Amen. That name is above every name. Above every name. Above every great name. Every great leader, military general, every great Medal of Honor winner, every great athlete, every great doctor, surgeon, no matter how, explorer, Magellan. I was reading about Magellan. It was called The Longest Journey. I mean, it was incredible where he had to sail and all these kind of things. Um, inventors, inventors, great names of people that we uh, should appreciate and not take for granted. Well, above every name is one name. And if you turn to Philippians chapter 2, you get some more insight about an excellent name. Let me clarify by saying the most excellent name. Yeah. Philippians chapter 2. The most excellent name. And this most excellent name is to contrast and distance itself from all other names of men and women born in human history or will ever be born. Philippians chapter 2. Now the verses, verse number 10... It says this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. But wait, for us to fully appreciate verse number 10, we've got to back up in this chapter. 
back up to verse number one. To fully appreciate verse number 10, back up to verse number one. If there be any, therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of the one accord, of one mind. You know that the Lord thinks it's good to have a church that is in harmony with one another? That's right. And for Christians to have fellowship with one another and be of the same mind for one another, with one another? You know that sometimes divisions and strife and all these things are really not good for a local church? That all of these things are very detrimental and very harmful and divisive and it causes a bad testimony for a local church? You know that having one mind is a good thing? You know that not having to agree with everybody is also very doable and still you can have one mind? You know that some people are very extreme in which if they don't agree with you on one thing, they break fellowship with you because of one, one little thing? It is incredible how people can get so petty and break fellowship over small things. But he does say, have uh, like-mindedness, have the same love, you know, this one accord of one mind. Well, you know, I don't think Christmas is, I don't think Thanksgiving is, I don't think we should salute the flag, I don't think we should have blood. Well, okay, that's your opinion. Well, I don't think um, people should wear tennis shoes in church. I don't think people should wear blue jeans in church. Well, that's just your opinion. I don't think we should have um, ukulele or acoustic guitar played in church. Well, that's just your opinion. Really, it is. And uh, so we should have um, a lot of toleration with one another when it comes to differences of opinion. Okay? See, I don't like bald people, but I gotta like him. I don't like people with white hair. Men, but I gotta like men with white hair. It's just, it's just. Verse 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, now we get, in, we get into a real core issue of this chapter into why the name of Jesus is so great. That nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That's a really good verse to, to preach on right there. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Don't try to be great. Don't always try to be the man, the man, the man. Uh, let somebody else be the man. Right now, the Dallas Cowboys have an injured star running back. His name is Ezekiel, of all things, Ezekiel Elliott. Don't like the man personally. I think he's got a huge ego, but he is a, quote, very good running back. His substitute, the number two running back, I don't even know his name, he's doing so well, there's talking Dallas about him replacing the star expensive running back. And it's a really uncomfortable situation between players on the team because this guy's got this huge contract, millions of dollars, and this other guy doesn't have close to that contract, but he's doing very well while this guy's injured. Now the talk is, what would we do when this guy recovers from his injuries? You gotta play him because of the contract. But this guy, the second string guy, is doing so well. Uh, that guy's a real, in football terms, a real, a real man. He runs into people he doesn't avoid tackles like some people that run to the side. This guy runs into the linebackers, run to the defensive back. He wants to put his helmet right in their chest. It's so much fun to see when men do that kind of stuff. It's so manly to have a guy ready to tackle this guy, and this guy runs into him, knocks him back. It is so manly. It is so much fun to see. It's enjoyable. It's as much fun as watching a woman knit. <laughs> They're going to have to decide the ego of the star running back 
as opposed to the production of this second string running back, what would we do? If their goal is to win, they have to decide what's better for the best thing for the team. It's a problem. But for the church, in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. My, how's my song? Not bad. Was my song better than her song? What? Well, how did I play that piece? Was it was it good? Okay, it was good. Was it better than her piece? What are you talking about? Let each esteem other better than themselves. If you are better than that other person, do you have to blow your trumpet and say, and act like a peacock and say, you know, my 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 piece is better than his piece. My song is better than his song. Yeah, yeah. It's almost it's almost like the jealousy of Saul and David. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. Saul has killed his thousands. Saul goes, mm-hmm. And then the second verse says, but David has killed his ten thousands. And so Saul went from to murder in his heart. Don't let that happen. Verse 4. Look not every man in his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I just care about myself. I just care about me. The most important thing is me. Well, you should take care of yourself. You really should. In every aspect of life. You should take care of yourself. You should be the best you can be for your own self. For your own sake. You should not be careless about your health. You should take care of your health. You should not be careful about the careless about uh, financial things or material things. You take care of things. You're a steward. But at, while that's going on, uh, don't just focus on what you can get, but let every man also on the things of others. That's an obligation to be thoughtful about the needs of other people, not just your own needs. Okay? Verse 5, that this mind the mind that he just talked about, verse 3 and verse 4. Let this mind be in you. I'm working down to verse number 10 as to why you should get a full understanding of why his name is excellent above all names. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, what, what was in his mind? Verse 6. Who, being in the form of God, thought of not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of, the next two words are, no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself you see verse 3 and verse 4 verse 5 is about humility and being found in fashion as a man verse 8 he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross wherefore because of that wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. <clears throat> exalted. Christ was exalted, and the direct reason for him being exalted is because he humbled himself. And the Bible says in Proverbs, before honor is humility. And Jesus as a man humbled himself, and he says, the Bible says he went to the cross, verse 8, obedient unto death, and because of that, God has highly exalted him. And verse 9 says, And given him a name, which is above every name. Yeah. Verse 10, 
that at the name of Jesus, at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. And that every tongue, verse 11, should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yeah. Now, you then perhaps understand that that name of Jesus in which everyone would bow to, every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that's in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's to say everyone, everything, will recognize him as the Lord of glory because of what he did. And so that name is above every name. So all the names I gave to you, as beneficial, as helpful as they were in our life and in human history, not to be compared to that name that is above every name. Now, every knee shall bow. 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 Even, even this character. Even this character. Even this character. Even that character, he will bow. He will bow. He will bow. He will bow down. I mean, his head really is going to be down. Really going to be down. He will bow. Even the devil will bow to him. You do remember that the devil wanted to have people bow down to him. He wanted Jesus to bow down to him. Remember that? Matthew 4, Luke 4. Jesus' temptations. If you just bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world, all these things. He wanted the Lord to bow down to him. And so, ironically, in the end, the devil bowed down to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every knee shall bow. There's something else about every knee shall bow. When it says every knee shall bow, all names, this is to say every every knee. Is that to be taken literally? Well, why not? Every knee will bow to him. Everyone throughout human history is going to one day bow down to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, you are the Lord. Whether it be in unison or in the VIG, who knows? Fact is, everyone's going to acknowledge him as the Lord. Everyone will. Mockers, haters, atheists, all those who rejected Christ, all those who said, don't bother me, I'm good, I don't need him, I'm okay. Everyone who, every intellectual person, every smart person, who by their education and by their wisdom of this world, who rejected him, they will bow down to him one day. Let me give an illustration about this. You don't know this guy, I don't know him personally, I read about him quite a bit lately. His name is Bart Erham, E-R-H-A-M. He is a professor at the University of North Carolina. He is a guest on many outlets. He has been a guest on the History Channel, National Geographic Channel, Discovery Channel, A&E, Dateline, NBC, CNN, NPR's Fresh Air. He's written articles for Time, Newsweek, New York Times, New Yorker, and the Washington Post. He's no stranger. One thing you know about people who are popular with these outlets, they have a certain viewpoint that these outlets like. You gotta remember that. 
they're saying something that they all agree with. Gotta, gotta, you got to remember that. Now, he has written over 30 books, including three college textbooks. Smart guy. Intellectual. Highly educated. Distinguished professor of religious studies at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I used to like that school for the basketball program. I sure don't like the politics in that school. He has debated well-known apologists, William Lane Craig, and even Dinesh D'Souza, who's a very sharp guy. And uh, here's his own words. Listen to this. He was a, quote, devout and committed Christian for a long time in his youth. He wrote a book finally called God's Problem about he, a former Christian, denied his faith because he couldn't reconcile evil and suffering in God's goodness. What is that saying? Because he could not figure out how come if God is love, God is good, he answers prayer, how come there's suffering in this world? He may have known personal people in his life that suffered and he couldn't reconcile, well, I believe in God, I believe in the Bible, how come he didn't answer their prayers? And because of those negative replies to prayers, and because there's evil in this world and there's crime in this world and, and bad things happen in this world, he couldn't figure this out. How come God would let this happen if he's love and he's good? He, he decided to turn from the faith. Listen to this, his own words. The problem of suffering has haunted me for a very long time. It was what made me begin to think about religion when I was young and it was what led me to question my faith when I got older. Ultimately, it was the reason I lost my faith. Most of my life, I was a devout and committed Christian. Early in my high school days, I started attending a Youth of Christ club and had a born-again experience. I became very serious about my faith and chose to go off to a fundamentalist Bible college, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, where I began training for the ministry. I could quote the entire books of the Bible. Smart guy. Verse by verse, from memory, I went on to finish my college work at Wheaton. There I learned Greek. At Princeton, I did both a Master of Divinity degree, training for the ministry, and eventually a PhD in New Testament studies. Smart guy. I knew about the Christian faith from the inside out. In the years before I lost my faith, I served as the youth pastor of a Evangelical Covenant Church. But then, I started to lose my faith. I now have lost it altogether. I no longer go to church. I no longer believe. I no longer consider myself a Christian. The subject of this book is the reason why. Now, that man will bow down at Jesus Christ's feet too. And that man, there's a lot of things to learn about that. Because the man is intellectual, because the man wants to know answers, because he's like a Thomas, a doubting Thomas, that's not bad. That's not wrong to think and investigate and want to know more. That's not bad. But when scholarship crosses the Bible and a man cites a scholarship, well, you know, 1 John 5, 7 doesn't belong in the New Testament because it's not in the oldest manuscripts. And you know, Acts chapter 8, verse number 37 should not be there because it's not found in the oldest manuscript. Therefore, what you read in the Bible is not literate, uh, a literal or not legitimate. That's how he began to think because he couldn't find so good evidence about the validity of the New Testament. Therefore, the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you, don't, you, you can't trust them what they said about Jesus Christ. Who knows if you even walked the earth, Jesus? You know, we don't know because the writers of the gospels, they are not credible. 
That is a result of higher education, higher criticism, and getting too smart for your own good. That's about people who got so intellectual and got so involved with, with data and with so-called factual things of history. Do you know that the Jehovah Witnesses, they believe that the Trinity is a three-headed God because they find evidence in, in art or in statues of three-headed beings? They say, you see? You see that? People worship the Trinity. Do you see that three-headed monster, three-headed God? There's no Trinity in the Bible. They have subjected the Bible to something they found in history, artifacts, artwork, and say, you see, this can't be. This is true. This cannot be true. That was his conclusion. Isn't that really tragic for man to have a quest for knowledge and he comes to a conclusion, the Bible's not credible. He can't trust it. Do you know that Jesus said, thy word is truth? In John 17, 17, he said that. That's in the broad context of whatever anyone says, thy word is still truth. Do you know that the King James Bible has words and phrases and structure in it that according to modern English standards may be out of order, may be out of place. Therefore, this Bible is an error because modern scholarship, modern English, we're real smart now. We're smart. We, we have, look at, how, look at where we live, 2022. We're real smart now. This is not first century. And No, no, no. This is real smart. So we have all this insight now. Therefore, if what we teach in English, grammar contradicts the Bible, the Bible is wrong. This is how this man concluded things. Always remember, ladies and gentlemen, that the Bible is the truth. Amen. And your faith in it is not wrong. But you'd be very wrong to put scholarship above the scriptures. Amen. Remember, as another example before I move on, the Bible says to sometimes it is necessary to beat a child with a rod. But because people abuse children, literally physically abuse them and they see beat a child with a rod shall not die the, red, the blueness of a wound cleanses away evil they say you know the Bible is really wrong because we shouldn't beat kids well people abuse their kids they should stop doing that but it does say in the Bible the word beat it does say that it does say that but that is not the same thing as people abusing their kids we're not going to change the Bible because people abuse certain things that are good to do in the Bible. Bart Erham has made a tremendously tragic mistake by abandoning the faith that he supposedly had. And uh, speaking of another thing, transitioning down from that, from the excellent name, do you know that each of you here need to be alert to maintaining your excellent name? Now, wait a minute, what is this all about? Okay, the Lord's name is about every name, but did you know that this is true too? You have something that is the most precious thing to you if you are a Christian. And that is your name. Your name is the only thing that will go with you. It's the only thing that will mark you, your name. Uh, Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. You know what that's about? That wind-up doll situation? Wind up the Francis doll, what do you think about? 
That's his name. Wind up the Carmen doll. What do you think about it? That's her name. Wind, wind up anybody's doll. Anybody's life comes to mind. You think, oh man, man, what a good man. What a, what a good lady. She is, oh, you know. You, see, look, you wind up the Grandma Nancy doll, a mother-in-law. You think of a woman who's very gentle, very sympathetic, that kind of thing. See, that's the first thing. Your name is the only thing that you have is to be above obtaining all this stuff that people think is important. Wind up the Joan Bagood doll. Something comes to your mind. Wind up the, you see, now here's something spooky. Wind up the Cam Ching doll. What comes to your mind? Uh-oh. Uh, see, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of worried about that one because every once in a while, you kind of get upset with drivers, upset with people on their phones. You get upset with people who are stupid. You upset people with people who are just knuckleheads. They don't think, they don't. You get upset with things. Everybody does that, but you gotta watch out that it's not the dominant characteristic about your life. Wind up this doll, undependable. Wind up this person. He talks the good talk, never means what he says. That's not a good name. Wind up this guy's name. Hey, if he says he's gonna do it, he's gonna do it. That's a good name. Wind up this guy. Yeah, if he says he's gonna do that, he's gonna do it. Can you trust this guy? Sure. That's a good name. Do you see how this is working out? There's one name above every name, that excellent name, that every knee is going to bow down to, every knee. Now I've gone to something practical in which we all need to work at our Christian testimonies and not let anything cloud or blend our name with something that is not Christian. Now, there is a future kingdom. Go back to Philippians, uh, Psalm chapter 8 for just a minute. Let me just close a little bit here on the context of this chapter. How excellent is thy name in all the earth. Right now it is not. His name is not excellent. It was not excellent when this was written. Certainly in this time, in this generation, his name is not excellent. You mentioned the name of Jesus and it's in the context of a cuss, a swear word. They never swear in their mother's name or anybody, any other saint's name. They all swear in the name of Jesus when they're upset or disappointed. So right now, that is not true. His name is not excellent in the earth right now. But will it be true one day? It will be true one day. Look at chapter 8, verses uh, 4 and 5. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and has crowned him with glory and honor. Now, there's a double reference here to man being created and he is crowned with glory and honor because of verses number uh, six. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands and has put all things under his feet. Verse seven, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the thousands of the air, verse eight, fish of the sea, whatsoever passes through the passage. That's about man. That's the first reference about what is man that thou mindful of him and the son of man that thou bist. God made man with such a uniqueness and a dom domination on creation. He, man, has dominion over the earth. Look, think of Adam in the garden, okay? The second reference is about Jesus Christ. Now watch this. What is man uh, that thou art mindful of him? 
and the son of man that thou visitest him. Now, notice that word, that thou visitest him. Now, back up to verse number three. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, this is talking about creation. When I think about the, the writer says, when I think about what God created, when I look up into the heavens, I think about what God created, he says, whoa, what am I compared to all of this that I see? What am I? I'm nothing. Verse four, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. So now someone has visited man. There's a son of man that God made to have dominion over the earth. And there's a son of man that has come to visit that man. That's the son of God, Jesus Christ. What is man that thou should visit him? Man's not worthy of God's attention, but he is because man, God thinks about man. Imagine this in heaven. Watch this now. I've got to hurry. This boy is the universe. Let's do it differently. This cube represents the universe. It has all this volume. And here in this corner is our solar system right there. Can you see that? I know you can't see that. But in that what you cannot see, you got to go way inside that one to see the earth. And in comparison, in perspective, this is God. You know, God is not the universe, right? God is above his universe. He's not his creation. He's not in his creation. He is above his creation. And what is man that God, that thou, should think about him? Think about that. God thinks about man so much so that he visited him. He went down to him. So God God thinks about man, and then God says, I need to send someone down there to save them, to redeem them. I'm going to send my son. What is man? Sinful, in need of redemption. I'm going to visit him. I'm going to send my son down to visit him. All of creation says, but what is man that, that thou should visit him? Aren't we not important, says Saturn, says Venus, says Pluto, says Alpha Centauri? Are we not as important to you? God says, these folks here that need redemption are more important to me than you. And so he thinks about us. So there's a double reference to the Son of God and also to man just being uh, the created being who have dominion over the creation. And in John chapter 1 and verse number 14, it says that God became flesh. God became flesh. He visited us. A couple of verses, I'll read it to you. Many, O Lord, my God, in, in the thinking of that thou, what is man that, uh, that thou art mindful of him? Mindful of him means I think about him. What is man that God thinks about you? Good verse here, Psalm 45, verse 5. Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done and thy thoughts, which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. It would, if I would declare and speak of them, the thoughts of God, they are more than one can be numbered. Do you understand what that is saying? God thinks about you so much so that the writer says, there's so many, I can't even, I can't even count how many times I, I re, when I realized how God thinks me, I cannot, I cannot, I, I can't, I can't count. I lost, I lost the ability to count how many. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me. Psalm 139, 17. Oh God, how great is the sum of them. 
When God thought about Adam in the garden, how they had sinned, God visited him and clothed them with animal skins. When God thought about our helplessness in sin, God thought about us and sent his son to redeem us. After we've been redeemed, he still thinks about us, about what bothers you. He's thought, thinking about what bothers you and what your concerns are. What is man that thou art mindful of him? You know, sometimes these cards that you buy that cost about $7 now, used to be $1.98, Hallmark greeting cards. Some cards are like this. Thinking about you. Open it up. Sorry for your loss or just thinking about you. And then you write a little note. When someone gets that card, you know what it makes them feel like? Oh, they thought about me. How nice. It encourages them. Because they know someone thought about them. You know, if you never communicate to people, do you care about them? They'll never know. If you never communicate to them by words or by expression, they'll never know that you care about them. They think you just don't really care. I mean, they're your friend. You're someone that you know. But if you never communicate to them that you care for them, that you think about them, they might just tend to think in their sadness, in their self-centeredness, in their thing about their problems only. They might think that nobody cares for me. And when people think nobody cares about them, they can go to an extreme about doing something about that. To get the attention of those people that don't pay attention to them when they have a need. They'll hurt themselves. Then they'll get the attention of somebody. Then they'll be posted on Facebook. Then they'll get on uh, social media. Oh, did you know that somebody tried to kill themselves? Then you start saying words to them that I care if I'm thinking about you. Okay, why don't you do that ahead of time? Why don't you step out of your local ways and start expressing your thought for somebody and let them know by your words and by expression that you are thinking about them. How many of you folks ever tried to contact Brother Bobby? How many of you men ever tried to find out where he's at? How many of you men ever gave a thought to him? How many of you have ever expressed to me that you are praying for him? There's a tendency for the human heart to think the worst of people. No, you cannot deny this because you don't hear, you don't see something that expresses what is man that thou art mindful of him. You know, I got a whole nother message about being mindful of people. Let me just bypass everything and go right there right now. No, just kidding. <laughs> but you got to do like that. Let me just confess by, let me just confess, I'll end this part of our morning. It will take a short break. I have a difficult time expressing with words anything to people. Appreciation or, you know, thank like that. It's just natural to be to not be expressive, okay? It's natural. So I make myself write cards. I make myself tell people thanks, thank you, those kind of things. Because I realize the importance of people knowing that you appreciate and that you are, you know what I mean? You have to make yourself do that. Okay, now, you, you got to go beyond, hi, nice to see you. I'm glad to see you. You got to go beyond that sometimes. That's right. Sometimes you just have to make it a point to just let somebody know. Right. Don't assume that they understand where you come from. 
It's a subtle trap that will cause people to feel bad unnecessarily. Well, we're not supposed to feel bad because God cares for us, but we're still human and we still need some affirmation. Yes. We still need some support. Yes. We still need some encouragement. Yes. Okay. All right. Let's stop here and then we'll take a short break. And ladies, um, if you go there in just a minute or two to have prayer, the men will stay over here. We have a short prayer time. But go ahead and get your water break. Do what you got to do. Come back in about five minutes if you would.